Please uh, take your Bibles and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let me read this text actually. Um, This is the end of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to read verses 15 through 24. Let me read them aloud. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of, of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Achilla and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the house, excuse me, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now here we are at the end of our study in this amazing letter from Paul to the Corinthians, a real church with real problems. And as we study these problems, I know that we have all come to that place where we realize and we see, man, this church sounds like it could fit really well here in America. It's one of ours. Now this is the first letter that Paul, we have recorded that he wrote to them. We know there are, that there were four letters, but we only have Two of them. And you know what I love about that fact? Those are the two that the Holy Spirit wanted us to have. You say, well, what about the other two? We don't know. So what if we were to find them? Well, then they would be just letters. These are the ones the Holy Spirit wanted us to have. And so we have them. And whenever you get to the last part of these epistles, it's always a good thing to remind ourselves that this right here, even the ending, this is God's word too. You mean the holy kiss? That's right. We'll talk about that when we get there. Now this last section is exactly what the Holy Spirit felt that we needed to hear. And so we should never look at this and bypass this too fast or too quick or say, yeah, 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 without really thinking it through and working it through for our own soul. And so there has to be plenty of application for us. Now, let me say it a different way. In other words, this last section is part of what the Lord wants to use to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Did you realize that? This, right here. If you want to look more like Him in character, conduct, and creed, then you and I need this part too, right? Now, the first thing I want you to see is that we're really going to be studying the meat part of this section, okay? Just like a sandwich, there are two bookends that hold a bunch of stuff in the middle, and I want you to see this. And all the stuff in the middle is held together by a thread that we could call our pieces of bread, and they connect from verse 14 to verse 24, Now let me show you. Go back to verse 14 here in 1 Corinthians 16. I am sorry if I made some of you hungry. All right, here we go. Look at verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Literally it says, let all the things that you do. Let all the things you do be done in love. Now listen, life can be broken down into things we do. He says, make sure all those things be done in love. Every one of them. Let me say it a different way. Don't do something without love. Okay? Whatever that thing is that you're going to do, don't do something without love. 
Then you go to last, the last verse, so look at verse 24. You see how it begins. Take a look at how it ends. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. What's the connector? Love, right? Everything in between has to do with fellowship. Now, so watch this. What I believe the Holy Spirit is teaching us about is a sphere of love, a sphere, you could even call it a fellowship, a sphere of fellowship where love connects us in our movement, in the movement in it, okay? There is this sphere. We all have different spheres of fellowship, okay? You know, um, and even we can say that literally because we all have, there's like five different flock groups that meet throughout throughout the week. So we have these spheres that we're connected with people and, and so forth. But this is really, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to take this in, a sphere of love, an area of love, a place that you could say where love moves. And it moves inside of a fellowship. He says, love has to permeate all your relationships. It has to dominate them. I don't know about you, but this had to have been a massive problem for these believers in this church. Doesn't it just seem like Paul is always wanting to talk about love in 1 Corinthians? They must have had a love problem. I think that they did. They must have. I mean, Paul's always talk, talking about them loving each other. I mean, it was a, 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 a severe problem for them. And you remember chapter 13 was the pinnacle, right? It was a church without love. Revelation 2, how bad is it to be a church without love? Verse 4, but I have this against you. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In other words, you've left love. You have left, you, when you became a Christian, you, you got love. Okay, Romans 5.5. 5. Poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, love was put right into you. You know, before that, Titus 3 says we were hate. Okay, if you want to de- define the, the difference between a uh, Christian and an unbeliever, one is governed by hate and the other is governed by love. And no matter how, how much the, the unbeliever wants to love and they can make right songs, all we need is love and love is, makes the world go round and all that stuff. The problem that they have, the world has, and I'll just give it to you. Here's a, here's a, here's a gospel preaching point for you. And next time you go share the gospel with someone, the problem that they have is that the world is governed by hate and they can't help it because God hasn't poured love into their hearts through Christ. He's the, he's the only avenue to that love. You see? And so that stands out. And so when believers are absent from love, they're they're being more like the world. They're being more like their flesh. And we talked about that last week, about the flesh. He says, but Revelation 2, 4, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Repent, or I will come and remove your lampstand out of its place. Now, what's that mean? It means if you don't repent and change, God will take away your ability to see danger. Your ability to be a light for him. Okay? He says, and by the way, what are they repenting of? They're repenting of not loving. And so God's going to take away your ability to be a light for him. Now, light goes in three directions. Okay? Three directions. I'll give them to you. These are the three directions that light goes. Light to shine out. That's evangelism. Okay? And you go and you shine your light on their sin and you shine the light on the fact that they need Christ and you point them to Christ and that's what you're doing. So that's light to shine out. Light also goes in this direction. Light to shine around. And that's edification. Helping each other as believers to know God's will and to get on that path, right? That's what is meant in Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. 
And so it is for believers to know how to walk you know, clearly, without obstruction, without things in the way. And then the third direction, light to shine in. And we can call that examination. Evangelism, edification, and examination. Second Corinthians 13, 5. And he tells us to examine ourselves to see where we're at. Shine light. In other words, right there in our hearts, in our lives, to see is there anything that we need to be you know, repenting of, anything that we need to be dealing with, an attitude, maybe an action, maybe something that, maybe it's not an attitude, maybe it's not an action, maybe it's some command that you're just avoiding. Now you look at this letter and you can see how the absence of love is connected to everything. I mean, all their problems are are because of it. All of them, every single one. I mean, it's why there are divisions, chapter 1, right? And you have, you know, these uh, factions. It's why they exalt human wisdom in chapter 2. It's why they have no unity, chapter 3 and chapter 4. It's why there is fleshly, immature living. It's why they were suing each other in chapter 6. It's why there is sexual immorality in chapter 5 and chapter 6. It's why the marriages struggle in chapter 7. It's why there is idolatry and so much struggle with gray areas in chapters 8 through 10. In fact, notice how many times he tells them to love in chapters 8 through 10. It's why they neglect the poor in chapter 11 and why there was a women's lib movement because there was no love. Now, something I want to help us out with is getting our theology to touch our practical everyday living. I mean, we should not strive to have theology and not have life. We've got to make them connect. We have to get our position to get worked out into our practice, see. We go back to what was stated about Romans 5.5 5 at salvation, that the love of God was poured into our hearts. Now, every Christian has that. You understand that? Let me say it a different way. If the love of God was poured out into your hearts, it doesn't make any sense that you for you to pray for more of God's love. He has given you His love. You know what He wants you to do? Use it. Okay? Tap into that and use it. God is love. If you have him, you have love. So then you just need to start using it, right? Ephesians 2 tells us you are placed into love, okay? But Philippians 2, now listen, says you need to work out your position into your practice. You've been placed into the love. Now that thing has got to get worked out. Work out your, that's what he means when he says, work out your salvation. Get that stuff to the outside. And this church at Corinth was very immature at that. Immature when it came to love. They had turned it into other things. They had, by the way, the, the word pervert, it means literally to twist. They had twisted what love was, and it became selfish at best, downright lustful at worst, and lewd. Now that's part of what Paul meant, by the way, in 1613, when he said, act like men, be mature, grow up. In other words, grow up in your love for others. That's what he was getting at. Now, how do you know that you've gotten to that place when the love that you have from the Holy Spirit is getting worked out? What you do is you look at the fellowship. Look at the fellowship. Look at your interactions with other people, other believers. Well, even unbelievers, you can say that too. But look at your 
interactions with people. Look at the sphere that the Lord has put you in and ask yourself this question. Can you see the marks of biblical love in that sphere, that relationship sphere, that fellowship sphere? You say, yes, that, that's just what I want. I want to be able to see that. I want to see lots of marks of that. Some of you love lists. Well, I've got one for you coming up here. Maybe you're wanting a way to evaluate, oh man, how am I doing in this area? What are the marks of love and fellowship so I can know if I'm really working it out? Well, there are seven of them here at the very end of this letter. And I love the fact that he does this right here. I love it. Let's go back to love, he says. Let's go back to love. You know, he, he began this letter talking about fellowship in chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He says, hey, I want you to see yourself not just individually as Christians, but as believers connected vitally to one another in a fellowship. And he comes back to that. Now we know from chapter 13 that love is an action, that it is, it is a verb more than a noun. And in our section, we get real practical. So let's let the Holy Spirit through Paul speak to us about this. And look at the first mark. First, there will be outreach. So how do we know there's, that I'm in the sphere of love here, this sphere of fellowship where love is just happening? You'll know it because there will be outreach. Evangelism. That's how I know if love is operating like it should in the sphere that God has put me in. There's a heart for the lost. People reaching out to the lost. Look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus. They were the first fruits of Achaia. Now I want us to first focus on the household of Stephanus. You say, who is that? Well, let's first look at the word household. The word household here means literally family. Better yet, family units. Stephanus and his family. That's literally the, the idea. Why do you say it that way, family unit? Why do you translate it household? Because the way they looked at the family back there, back then, it wasn't just, you know, spouse and kids. It was spouse, kids, servants, and the servant's spouses and the servant's children. All of that made up the household. Stephanus and his family. Now, the name Stephanus means one who bears a crown. And so we're, we're, we're uh, talking about a royal guy. This guy uh, seems like he's a little important. He could have been one who was well-to-do. And so we have this family unit with all of these people. And he says, you know the household of Stephanus. In other words, you're familiar with him. You know all about him. He must be a big deal in the church. Well, sure, the church was actually meeting at his house. Now, Back in chapter 1, when Paul was making a point about unity, he said he baptized very few people. And the reason why he was saying that is because he was wanting them to know, hey, I'm not looking to get praise. If that were the case, I would have baptized all of them. I didn't care about being that guy that had to be the one to baptize people. Not a big deal. But then he said this in verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16. But I, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. 
So he must have meant something pretty special to Paul. There's a reason why. I think one of the reasons is because he was an early convert in the gospel ministry of Paul in Corinth. And so Stephanus was one of the first people to become a Christian in this area. In fact, he didn't just become a believer. He shared it with his whole family. And they all became believers. Isn't that good? You say, well, I wish I could have just a gospel ministry. Well, if you have a family, you have one. You have one. Make sure they know. He said, well, they come to church. They know. No, no, no. That's assuming things. You go and they're at home and you talk to them. And you keep connecting life to the gospel with your children. And as they get older, you just keep doing it. They get in their 20s, you just keep doing it. Connect life to the gospel. To the gospel. You say, what do you mean? Four things that we focus on with the gospel, right? We focus on the sovereignty of God. That is, that God is the creator. He's the one that made everything. You owe your life to him. He's the ruler. He calls the shots. Focus on sin and how it has ruined everything. And so because it's ruined everything, man has a need for the a third thing. Focus on the Savior who came to be the substitute Savior, to, that is, die in our place. We, we deserve judgment because of our sins, but he took the place for that judgment and was judged for you on the cross. And then talk to them about the summons to repent and believe. To repent and believe. And then connect everything to those four things. Always. Always. You having a struggle? Hey, let's talk about the, let's talk about how sin ruined life. You struggling with suffering and everything? Let's talk about how sin ruined life. And how God sent Jesus Christ to recover that. To give us hope. When things stink, we have a Savior. We have a one who we can look up to. See? And so that's what Stephanus did. He went to his family and he connected them to the gospel. All of them. And he shared it with his whole family and all of them followed in the footsteps of faith. All. Now as we look at verse 15, there are a few other things that jump out at us. Now, this family of new believers were, it says, the first fruits of Achaia. Now, notice, it doesn't say first fruits of Corinth. Now, you can break Greece down into two main regions. The north region was called Macedonia. The south region was called Achaia. The north region uh, there in Macedonia had places like Thessalonica and... Um, Philippi, Berea, they were all up there. But when you got south, you got into the more cultured area, more sophisticated part of Greece, more uh, into philosophy and stuff like that. They were, that was where Athens was. And, and then Corinth. And you remember when he was in Athens, I mean, they just thumbed their nose at Paul. They called him literally a seed picker. What does this seed picker want with us? He's talking this crazy talk. Some resurrection about some guy named Jesus. What is this? And that was cultured Athens. And then he went down to Corinth and preached the gospel there. And people were saved. Now, could Stephanus have been from Athens? It is possible. But whatever the case, he's from this area. He's a southern guy. He's a hometown guy, see. And so we have here Stephanus, one of your own. But notice the second thing, he's he's the first fruits of that area. 
And that connects to the gospel getting into that area. Now, how did the gospel get to Corinth? Through Achaia, right? You, read, you can read about it in Acts 17. Paul goes to Athens. Most of them reject the gospel. It's just humanism all over the place there, you remember. Very philosophical, but listen to Acts 17.34. Some men joined him and believed. Dionysius and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Could have been. Could have been Stephanus. Could have been. We don't know. Paul gets to Corinth and Acts 18 tells us that Achilla and his wife Priscilla become believers. And then a guy named Crispus who was a leader of the synagogue. And 16.23 tells us a guy named Gaius comes to Christ. He said, what does this have to do with Stephanus? Listen to verse chapter 16, verse 15, back here. Stephanus and his household... His family were the first fruits of Achaia. Remember what we learned about first fruits? It's the idea of the first fruits. The first fruits were the guarantee of what was to come. Stephanus and his family. Were the first, remember there, so there was going to be a harvest. God was, God's going to have a harvest there where he's going to save a lot of people. Stephanus and his family were the first. They were the indicators that something big was about to happen. How did God reach this area? Through the outreach of Stephanus and his family. That's how he did it. He said, but I thought Paul was the guy. Well, yeah, but he's just one guy. There were others that came to faith in Christ, and Stephanus was the first. And his family was used to be one that would guarantee a God's full harvest in that area because of this family. Now, what is this? Listen, love does that. It's love that does that. Stephanus and his family were the first fruits of Corinth, the first Christians there. They were the starter bread, right? I mean, God used them to reach Corinth with the gospel. They were the key family then of the area for Christ. You know, and it's just an incredible insight to how this church at Corinth came to be. God used this instrumental family to come to faith in Christ and he used them to reach that area. Now, in this, we learn something about outreach or evangelism or missions, however however you want to call it. Getting the gospel out into an area, okay? Listen, God isn't just interested in some converts in an area. Here a little and there a little. What we see here is that God is after planting churches. Churches. Whole churches. And that's what this really represents. The first fruits is a guarantee of a harvest to come. And love here then is expressed. The love that is expressed here is outreach. It's a heart for the lost. It's a commitment to reaching the lost with the gospel. And you really see that in the early church. I mean, they were committed to that kind of mission. You see it in Acts and then it's extended right out past that time. I want to show you what this looks like. Um, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians 1. Now, by the way, this is one of the first epistles that Paul wrote. Galatians is probably the very first, and First Thessalonians would be the next one after that. Now, this church then came before the one in Corinth. And in chapter 1, verse 3, it's... Paul says, bearing in mind, he's talking about them, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. Bearing in mind, here's how I pray, your work of faith and what? 
labor of love. Now, what kind of work were they doing? What kind of labor are, are they doing? What kind of work are they doing that requires faith and love? Whatever labor or work they're doing, he says it's made up of faith and love. First part of the work, verse 5. Receiving the gospel. Receiving the word, okay? Verse 6. They became imitators. Verse 7. They became examples of what? Doing work or labor like Paul did. What's it? What's that look like when you do work or labor like Paul? Look at verse 8. He tells us. Not only, uh, excuse me, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Okay? That's an interesting word, uh, sounded forth. It's, we get our English word echo from this word. Okay? It has echoed. The idea of the echo is to go and reverberate. The word is even used kind of as a, like in the water where you see the ripple effect, where it just goes and goes and goes and goes, and it just stretches out. The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. The gospel that you are preaching has gone out like an echo, like a, like a ripple in the water. Verse 8, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Listen, you're just preaching the gospel. We don't need to preach the gospel. You're, you're doing it. In fact, we don't even need to tell you to preach the gospel. You just do it. What makes them do this? Well, they're just like Steph- the Stephanus family. First fruits of the gospel, signing it forth, getting it out. And Paul calls it here a labor of love. That's what makes them do it. Love. Oh, I got, I got to go with, I got to go in and say, I got to go share the gospel because I, I was told I got to do this and I got to check it off here. That doesn't sound like love to me. Paul calls it a labor of love. That's what love does. It works to get people this gospel so God can save them. Now what you had with that church is a great sphere of fellowship where they just came together in love and the mark of that love that they had for each other was that they got the word out. See? Outreach. You know, that's what we pray for and desire right here at GBC and Fallon. Right here at GBC and Fallon, I tell you, you know, sometimes you talk to people and they say, well, you know, didn't, uh, we didn't even know you were, there was a church there. I said, yeah, I kind of figured that. So we don't really do a lot of advertising. We've never had one of those little float things out there. You know, nothing wrong with that. People do that. That's fine. We just haven't done that. Why? What's wrong with it? Aren't we going to get the word out? Yeah. Through each individual person as you go and take your life into the life of other people. That's how you do it. Sounding forth the word. We're not trying to put the spotlight on ourselves. and We want little GBC and big giant Jesus, right? That's what we want. Christ. Christ. It's all about Christ. Jesus. Him. Point to Him. We should pray for that and desire that right here. How do you do that? How do you get that gospel out? Should we go on a street corner? Should we go, you know, around making it, a giant, you know, make a tent or something like that, or a big deal? Well, God's word kind of gives us some clarity. Here's one way, John thirteen. 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Start with just loving people. You know, that love will just, it'll flow right out into a gospel message. I can't tell you how many times I hear, and I mean a lot, 
So I heard, you know, so-and-so goes to your church. That's right. Wow, I really, that, they're such a neat, that's a man, amazing person. I really like that person. As I do too. You just come to our church. <laughs> hear the, you, you'll get better stuff. I mean, you hear the word. You'll, you understand the reason why we're, there's a lot of people like that. Just people that are just, whose eyes are, they go from down to up. Man, you look at yourself, you see the sin, and then your eyes are brought back up to Christ as Savior as you realize, man, anything I have is because of Him, right? That's the mark of love, is outreach. Paul was talking about evangelism in Second Corinthians 5 when he said this, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls, He controls me. Then he goes on to say, one died for all. His love controls us. And so we just love others so much that we proclaim Christ as Savior, as Lord. Verse 11, he says, we persuade men. Verse 18, we take that ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 20, we become ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We want it to be that we're so clear that when we talk, people are going, it feels like God's talking to me. That's right. Because it's not my message, it's His. We do it for love. Now let me show you an example of this right from Paul's life. Romans chapter 9. You don't have to turn there if you, if you don't want, but I mean, you can. But um, Verse 1. Now here is Paul. He's laid out a letter telling them what the gospel is. We know this about Romans. He's charged both Jew and Greek with being sinners and needing to place faith in Christ alone to be saved. He even told the Jews in chapter 2, he said, Hey, you're not a real Jew unless you're a Jew on the inside. Whoa, that's bold. You're not a real Jew. Who do you think you are? I mean, are you just, are you anti-Jew now, Paul? No, it's quite the opposite. I want you to come to Christ. I mean, Romans 1, 16, right? To the Jew first. But verse 1, I am telling the truth in Christ. In other words, all that I've been saying is telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Boy, he says, the Lord knows. The Lord knows what I'm about to say. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Why? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, that is the Jews, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And you know what he's saying? Paul says, man, I, I wish I could be cursed and the Jews saved. Really? Yes. I mean, I would... I mean, most of them have rejected Christ. And Paul says this, I'd trade places if I could do that just so that you could receive salvation. By the way, if you're thinking Paul's just having a hallmark moment here, in Acts 14, well, Acts 13 and then in the 14, he was stoned to death by these Jews. And these Jews just kept following everywhere, everywhere he went. They tried to kill him. That's who he's talking about. So I wish that I could just trade places if they could just be saved. If they could only see and taste and see how good God is in this, in this gospel that he has given. Well, so just amazing. What makes them say that? Love. Love makes a person committed to outreach. Paul is like Moses. I love how John MacArthur puts it. He says this about, uh, talking about Romans 9. Evangelism is the heartbroken cry of Paul here. End quote. It's the heartbroken cry. That's what evangelism is. Here are people wanting to kill Paul, and yet he wants to know, he wants them to know Christ, and he's willing to trade places. And so that tells us he knows that it's not personal. He doesn't take it personal. It's sin that makes them so mad at him. And I think the lesson for us is a lesson on our love, isn't it? 
I mean, you know, beloved, and I say this, I don't just say this to your shame, I say it to my shame. I mean, we, we give up so easily on the lost, don't we? So easily. But Paul doesn't. He just pours it out. And, and I think we could we can learn from that. Now, what we're talking about is what makes us extend out to the limits for the lost because we want to see them saved. And I love the picture, you know, in Luke 15 of the father with the prodigal son and his son had ruined his life and he squandered inheritance. You remember that? That the father personally, he asked for it basically by asking for his inheritance from the father. He was telling the father, I wish you dead. Give me the inheritance because I want it now as though you're dead to me. And he drank himself to nothing and he partied himself to embarrassment and he failed so many job opportunities. He was a literal waste. And so he goes back home to a dad that he basically told that he hated last time they talked. And before he could get home, the dab was already running to him. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why was he running to him? Love. He never stopped looking, the dad. He not only was waiting, he was searching and then finally running. That's a heart for outreach. That's what it looks like. Love moves us in that direction. So the whole Stephanus family had that, and that's a mark of love. But there's a second one here. Secondly, there will be ministry in this sphere here. There's going to be ministry. Now, in this sphere of fellowship, there is another thing that will pop up. Love makes you serve. It makes you have a ministry to others. Verse 15, look at it. Steph and his family, and, and that they have devoted themselves to, for the ministry to the saints. Now, this man and his family were busy ministering to saints and serving them. In fact, it says that they devoted themselves for this. And, and by the way, this says in the Greek, it, it implies this, no one made them do this. It says they themselves, they devoted themselves. It is in a kind of tense that helps us understand nobody made them do this. In fact, they made themselves do this because they wanted to. They didn't sign up for anything. Sometimes we look at service and we think of it more in terms of signing up for something. No, they didn't sign up for anything. I mean, no one had to say, uh, hey, hey, listen, there's some needs over here. Uh, please, could you please just kind of go help over here and do this thing over here? And would you be willing to meet some of these needs that we have? I mean, no, one, no, one had, no one had to say that to them. They weren't those types of people. Sometimes I think we... Uh, we're way, I don't know. Sometimes, I, and I, I, by the way, again, when I say these things to you, it's not because I'm literally pointing at you. I'm talking to myself here. here. A lot of times when I, when I preach sermons, I'm literally, literally preaching to myself. But I, I tell you, it's, it's like I'm waiting for somebody to just, you know, like a message from Congress or something like that. All right, you may go now. Go serve, go serve and eat over there, you know. Um, if you see it, meet it, right? Just do it. If they say to you, are you the one that's supposed to be meeting my need here? You know what you can say to them? I don't know. I have no idea. But, I, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Is that all right? <laughs> Somebody already brought a meal. It's okay. Put this in the freezer. That'll be good for the, I don't know. You can thaw it out, eat it. It's all good. They devoted themselves for service to the saints. And they, they did this out of a uncoerced will, out of the freedom of love. Now, who does the work of ministry belong to? That we worked this out a few weeks ago. You remember this. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 2, it belongs to us all. 
It's not the pastor's job to meet all the needs. It's not the deacon's job to meet all the needs. It's not the special counselor's job to meet the needs. It's the job of any saint to meet the needs of any saint. See, I can't tell you how beaming I get when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, uh, you know, this person was hurting and I met with them and I told them this and I hope that's okay. Is that all right? Oh, man. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, boy, I'm going to pray for you both. That's exciting. We're all called to the ministry. Would you realize that? You're a Christian. You are in the ministry. Did you know that? You're in the ministry. You say, well, I don't remember signing up for it. First Peter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, God is doing the building, okay? Jesus is building us up into a certain building project. We have a certain shape. You say, what is this shape? All of Christians are like individual stones of a building. Again, you say, what building? He says, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Where do priests serve? In the temple. What kind of building is he building up? A temple. Jesus is making a temple and we're the living stones. I like that. <laughs> we're, you know, make me a stone right over here, right? So one with jagged edges and just kind of, you know, a little rough. That's probably what my stone would look like. That's all right. The Lord, is, he's buffing it out. That's the good stuff there. But he goes on to say, verse 5, so what do you do as a living, as a stone here? He says, well, I mean, you're a stone that offers up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And what we learn here is that all believers are priests. Do you realize that? When God saved you, he made you a priest. He said, well, I never got my collar, right? Well, you don't need one of those collars. Ours is an invisible collar, right? I mean, you could, you could, you could be a, a collarless priest. How's that? Okay. That's what, that's what we are. God made us all priests at salvation. And this is, this is one of the reasons I stopped being a Roman Catholic. I mean, finally, I realized I don't need a priest. Why are you leaving the church? Well, I don't need you. You made me think I needed you for all these years. I don't need you. I have a priest. And he's made me a priest too. See? I have the, he's the, Jesus is the high priest. And now I just do work for him. So anyway, maybe someday you'll see that you don't need a priest either. To the Roman Catholic, I say, except for Jesus Christ. I have one in heaven named Jesus. He's the best, by the way. Always available. (laughs) And he's made me a priest and I don't need another one. Now, what did the Old Testament priests do? They served the people, didn't they? That's our ministry. And what Peter is saying is the very thing the family of Stephanus was devoted to, having a ministry to all the saints, devoted to serving them. Now, the Greek word Paul used for devoted in verse 15 is the Greek word tasso. And it's a kind of a military, it can be used as a military term, uh, meaning to line up under, but it's also used... It's to place yourself willingly under others as, as a servant. It's, it's, it's even more than that. The word can also convey a, a sort of addiction. That's right. It's used that way too. To be addicted to something. You know what he's saying here? Are you ready for this? It is to be addicted to serving others. Say, whoa. What kind of, what kind of service here are we talking about? Well, the Greek word is diakonia, and uh, it just means meeting any kind of need, just general service. Now, what does it mean then to be addicted to serving others? Well, I mean, we all know what addiction looks like in other areas, I mean, right? It controls you. You're, you're surrendered to that thing. You're dependent upon that thing. It becomes a habit. You can't stop yourself. You're so given over to the alcohol or to the drug or whatever it is that you just go there without much thought and without much fight and you just can't stop yourself. Now, imagine being like that with your service. Huh? 
That's the picture. And we all have different services. Mine is preaching the word. And i got to tell you, I mean, there are times that I say, oh, i just got to study a little more. It's got to do a little more. I said, well, come on, you can, you know, I can't help it. Just got to, you know, like Paul, I hope I'm like him at the very end. Say, one more sermon, one more, just one more. That's the picture is that you just can't help it. Now, all throughout the New Testament, by the way, you see this word ministry. Let me give you a rundown of, of those places so you can understand what ministry is. What is ministry? If we're all called to it, what is it? In 1 Corinthians 12, 5, this word is used for our spiritual gifts. That's our ministry, to use them. A ministry of spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, it is a ministry of giving money, serving with that money. To give you, that's a ministry, by the way, giving your money to serve the saints, see? In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, a ministry of the word. And so you serve others by giving the word of God, teaching it, preaching it, and you disciple men with it. 1 Timothy 1, verses 16 through 18, a ministry of encouragement. Counseling others with our words. John 12, verse 2, the ministry of using our food to serve others. And then Colossians 4.17, and I just need to quote this one. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And he said, oh, was Archippus some pastor or whatever? We don't know. We don't know. Just some guy named Archippus. But you know what? He says, hey, you've got a ministry? Fulfill it. You know what fulfill means? Finish it, complete it, do it, push it out. We all have that as believers, beloved. That's where our love takes us. You know, beloved, it should feel like an addiction to us. I mean, we should be going through withdrawals if we're not serving with the service the Lord has given us, right? And I'll tell you, if that's not you, you need the question. Where are you at spiritually and are you, I mean, maybe it might be an indication that you're not, the, you don't belong to the Lord. It might be. And if so, you feel it, you feel that neglect and, oh, okay, I just want more. Just give me something. Pray for that direction. And as I told you, it's, it's what makes me preach, to be honest. I mean, I must. I must. There's, there's literally no incentive Incentive or motive that overtakes that one. Nothing. Nothing. All right. Uh, let's, let's see another. Third, there will be submission. There will be submission. Verse 16. Now we get, we get practical here. Verse 16, still talking about Stephanus, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. He said, ooh, subjection. Was Stephanus an elder? We don't know. Maybe he was a pastor there. We don't know. But we're to be in subjection to him and people like him. You know the only thing we know about Stephanus? First fruits and that he served. He had ministry. Being subjected to people like that. Now, we don't like that word submission, do we? Be honest. But listen, you, know what, you, want, to, you want to hear this? That's, that's our word. That's our word for Christians. That is our word. We stepped into that, and now it has a totally different look to it, to us, doesn't it? That's our life direction. Godly, mature believers get under others. They submit. Willingly submit. That's what we do. It's a mark of a Christian. I mean, you see it all over the place. Ephesians 5, wives submit to their husbands. Ephesians 6, children submit to their parents. Same thing in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. How about 1 Peter 2, verse 13? We submit to the governing authorities. 
We submit to the leadership of the church in Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. And in 1 Peter 5, 5, the younger are to submit to the older. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, you submit to your boss as an employee. That's the flow of our life now as believers. Now what makes us all submit in the sphere of our lives? Love. Love does. We do it because there's love in there, see? He say, do I submit because maybe I'll get something if I submit? No. Do I do it to kind of get my way? This is the way. If I submit here, then they'll do this for me. You know? No, no. We do it because there's love in there, regenerated love. You say, well, what about a man? I mean, if you just got done saying a, a wife submit to the husbands. I mean, you laid it on thick there on, you know, with the women and children. What about the men? First Corinthians 11, a man submits to Jesus Christ. Every believer has a submission that he is under. It's our life. Beloved, this is characteristic. It's a characteristic that is counterculture. The world tells us never get under anyone's authority. Be your own man or your own woman. You have rights. Christianity says, get under someone. Willingly place yourself under. We're the the under position, like Stephanus and his family, by the way. I mean, we're not a bunch of people fighting to get control over others. You become a Christian, you you leave that. It's not us anymore. Here Paul says, get under people like Stephanus. Submit to that kind of living, to that kind of direction. See, That's what a church should look like. Just come under. Just come under. By the way, this is a similar Greek word to the one translated devoted in verse 15, where we talked about it being addiction. But there's a prefix added to it to making it sound like this. Be super devoted. To men that are like this, super addicted to getting under people like that. I mean, you find a person in the church that is addicted to serving the saints, and you should get under that person. Follow their lead. See? Now understand something. We, we were saved into that kind of pattern. Jesus said, follow me to all the disciples, right? First Corinthians 11, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said that in Philippians 3.17. Follow after my pattern. In Luke 6.40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's the Christian flow. That's how God designed it for us. You get under someone to follow that pattern of service, someone who can model to you what you need to have in order to serve. Hebrews 13.7, follow their faith. Now let me give you one last one for this morning. A mark of love in this sphere of fellowship is, fourth, that there will be companionship. Companionship. I love this one. In fact, I'm I'm, going to be good, and I'm only going to give you the serious bare bones here, because we're going to pick this back up next time. I love it so much, I've got to wait. I've got to wait, okay? But let me give you a few thoughts here. Look at verse 17. The first part of 18. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Notice what happens when you get around these guys, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. What do you get? Refreshed. See? Paul says, my spirit got refreshed and so did yours. I mean, they did their best to supply what you couldn't. They knew that you wanted to be with me. And here they were. They, they tried to represent your love, see. That's what they were here for. I mean, 
These are refreshing Christians. These are people that you get around them and you just feel refreshed. Like you've been given life. Encouragement. Just hope. And they're just positive people. You know, beloved, life is filled with people that do the opposite, right? I mean, they, they, they take away. I, and I want to be another one of those. There's a whole lot of those. You know, people that you feel like they, they suck life, they don't give it. Nothing refreshing about being around people like that. You know, we don't want to be leeches, but the, the sphere of love in the body is this. Refreshing companionship. A refreshing component of fellowship in relationship. Now I have to say this is the one thing that makes me want to come back from any vacations or time away from the body. I just need this. I need it. I need, I can't wait, to be honest. So well, you, you don't enjoy your vacations? Oh, I enjoy it. I just want to take all of you with me, you know, but you can't do that, right? So here we go. Well, here we go. Back up. We're going to go on Mike's vacation here. <laughs> Probably want to work too well with my family. Be, hey, what about us? Okay. But, you know, listen, it's why I go to church. I mean, I just want to be around refreshing people, and I, want, I myself want to be an instrument to refresh, you see. Yes, the study of the word is good and it is refreshing, but, you know, I could do that on my own. And by the way, this is why I'm committed to my flock group. I, mean, I just want to be around people. Why would we not want to be around people that are loving Christ? And they want to grow in that love. I mean, God has, God has regenerated sinners to be receptacles of refreshment. I mean, you get around them and you just get refreshed. And here is Paul and he has poured himself out into this church. And, but he has to be away and he's in Ephesus and he want, he's wondering what's going on in, with this church. And, and then comes these three guys and boom, there's fellowship. Now this is what Jesus offers in salvation. Matthew 11, come to me and I will give you rest. I will refresh your soul. By the way, the same word, that's the same word he's used here. In 1 Corinthians 16. And we're going to be like Christ. Do that too. Be that too to other people. There are people in the body that are so good at helping you get recharged. You know, that's what we should all be. You know, a bunch of charge stations to each other, right? You come see me. You know, get yourself recharged. All right. Thank you. Ready to go. All right. We can do this. I'm good. Now I'm ready to absorb all the anxious people and the weary people and the negative people. I can just refresh them. And if they refuse to be refreshed by me, then it would be on them, not me. You know, it really is that ability to take people who have problems and to redirect them in such a way where they feel refreshed. You know, so often we see that the problem person... <laughs> Oh, I got to go over there. You know what I mean? Not these guys. God saves us to be like these three. To love in that direction. To be Proverbs twenty-five thirteen, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. For he refreshes the soul of his master's. So you know when the love is there in your sphere because people feel refreshed. Well, uh, this is what our pastors always say. Well, I have so much more, you know, but we're going to save that for next time. But um, let me conclude here. Four marks. Four marks of love in the sphere of fellowship that God has in us. There will be outreach, right? A love for the lost. There will be ministry. A love for the needy. There will be submission, a love for those over us. I mean, who are put over us to shape us. We, we just come under that. And there will be companionship, a love that refreshes others, especially people that have problems. 
Oh, may the Lord make us that kind of church, right? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for giving us so much. You always outgive us. And we thank you because your gift is perfect and it's right what we need. And just pray, dear Lord, that you would um, take us and move us into this direction, Father, as you shape our love to be something that um, is felt here, Lord, um, people that are committed to one another this way. And Lord, we know it's not a work that we can do on our own. We need you in um, your power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to make us these types of people in each other's lives. Would you please do that, Father, for your glory here at Grace Bible Church. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.